The reading's taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 11, and you can find that on page 1077 of the Pew Bibles. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. The disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled 
And where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. First, let me say, if you're here uh, with little children, um, let me reassure you, this sermon was written to the sound of crying children, and I really don't mind delivering it to that sound as well. But if you would be more comfortable uh, in the back room, then feel free, please, to use that if you've got little ones. It's easy to contain them, and, uh, and it's, uh, you, you can have a bit more comfort. So please do use that if you would like to. Now, there's a lot in this passage. Uh, I'm not going to cover it all uh, because uh, we, we wouldn't have time. Uh, and uh, indeed, it's, it's been a long passage to read. But there's one question that uh, comes to my mind uh, when I've read it through and when I've been preparing. And it's perhaps uh, the biggest question that is often leveled at God. And it's the one that people often use to try and deny that God exists. And it's the one that goes a little bit like this. How can there be a God when there is suffering in the world. And if there is a God and he loves us, then why does he allow suffering? Now, it's a familiar question to all of us. Uh, we may have asked it ourselves uh, at some point, and it may be a question that we hide from, because it's a question that's hard to answer. It may not be one that springs to your mind straight away out of this passage, but it is one that is certainly there. And although this passage won't give us a full answer to that question, it can begin to give us some way of understanding it. So let's have a look at this passage. Let me give you a brief synopsis of, uh, first of all, that first uh, paragraph, that first section. So someone Jesus loves, that's Lazarus, is ill. And he's so ill, in fact, that uh, they've sent word to Jesus. It's not just uh, a little cold that uh, they keep Jesus informed of. No, this is a serious illness. And Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. And Jesus begins in this conversation, uh, in verse 4, by plainly saying that Lazarus' illness will not end in death. But at the end of that same conversation there in verse 14... 
he says very plainly that Lazarus is indeed dead. And more than that, he was glad that he was not there at the time of his death. Verse 5 and 6 are really quite important. They say this, Now now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when they heard that Lazarus was sick, he left immediately to go to them. Doesn't it? That's why you should have your Bibles open, because sometimes we may not tell you the truth. That's not what it says. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he did not leave immediately. He stayed where he was for two more days. See, this passage clearly tells us that Jesus loves Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But when Jesus heard about Lazarus' illness, serious illness, he did not leave immediately. He stayed where he was for two more days. Now the disciples, they have plenty of reasons not to go to Judea. They think that if they go there, they will die. But that's not why Jesus delays. No, because if that were the case, he wouldn't have gone at all. But he does go. But he delays. And it throws up a massive question for us. Because how can Jesus love Mary and Martha and Lazarus? And still wait for no given reason, for what seems like no good reason. Surely if he loved them, he would have left immediately. But the Bible tells us that he does love them, so we've got a problem. How do we work out why Jesus didn't leave straight away? Well, we have to conclude, if we accept that Jesus did love Lazarus and Mary... We have to conclude that Jesus had something more important on his mind than the health of Lazarus or the immediate comfort of Mary and Martha. There is something going on here that is more important that requires Jesus to wait. The reality is, as we see from the text, if you're any good at maths, you don't need to be that good, but you'll see that Jesus waits two days. But when he gets uh, to, to where Lazarus is, Lazarus has already been dead four days. So we see that it doesn't matter really if Jesus had have left those two days earlier. He still would have arrived two days after the death of Lazarus. And the very uh, clever of you will work out that Jesus must have been at least a day's travel away from where Lazarus was at this point then. And that's how you account for the four days. At least a day's travel it took for the message to get to Jesus. The two days that he waits and the at least a day's travel that it took for Jesus then to get to Lazarus. It may well have been further than that, of course. But there's something that's more important than Jesus' immediate response to his love for Mary and Martha. And what are those things? What what is that thing that's more important? Well, verse 4 and verse 15 both give us a clue. Have a look. Verse 4 says this. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the glory, God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Part of the reason for his delay is to do with the glory of God and the authority of Jesus. Am I having trouble with the microphone? Still. 
something to do with the authority of God, uh, sorry, the, the glory of God and the authority of Jesus, Jesus being glorified also. But there's something else as well. If we look in verse 15, Jesus said this, And for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe. There's something to do with this delay about the faith of the disciples, so that they may believe. Just a question for our own reflection and our own application, I wonder. How often do we feel like we know what we need? And we ask that question of God. God, do this in my life. Work this in my life. Please be at work here. And then we get frustrated with God when that question isn't answered straight away. Do we ask that question of God? Why don't you act in my life now? Why don't you do this thing now? I need this thing done. Whatever it is. And we get frustrated when that, the question is not answered when we want it to be answered. And I guess the question that comes in our mind is, well, God, does God really care about us if he isn't acting now? Does God really love us? Is it possible for God to love us and to say, wait? Verse 16 is one of my most favourite verses in the whole Bible, let me tell you. I love Thomas. I think he speaks on two occasions, and both times he kind of puts his foot in it. Um, but his, what he says here is just amazing, it's great. He says, uh, well, let's go with him so that we can die with him. What a great contribution, Thomas, isn't it? What a wonderful contribution. But you know what? Thomas has faith. He doesn't have much, but he has faith enough to follow. And actually, one of the main themes that comes out of this passage for me is that faith is faith, regardless of how much faith you've got. Faith is faith, regardless of how much faith you've got. And all we really need is faith enough to follow. We don't need faith that will save ourselves. We need faith enough to follow. So Jesus sets out to Bethany, which I said was at least a day's walk, uh, quite possibly and likely more than that. And what uh, happens when he arrives there is detailed from verse 17. And he meets uh, some different people. He meets Mary, Martha, and he meets the mourners, the people who are there to mourn Lazarus' death. And through the different people he meets, he's asked the same question three times. Twice it's in identical statements from Mary and Martha, and twice in a, in a slightly different question from some others. Mary and Martha both ask the question, both say exactly the same words to him when he encounters them. They say, Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's not phrased in the same way, but the same question, uh, that come, the, the, it amounts to the same thing that comes from the others, the mourners when they ask. They say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And in both those statements, two things are implied. 
The first thing that's implied is that they do, in fact, have faith. They have faith that Jesus could have prevented Lazarus' death. They could have healed him. But they also expect and imply something else by the questions they ask, and that is this, that now it's too late. You could have done something. We had faith in you that if you had been here, he would not have died. You could have healed him. But there's a limit to our faith because now we don't believe you can do anything about what has happened. It's too late now. No, you should have come sooner. You've let us down. They have faith in Christ, but it is a faith that only goes as far as death. And at death, they lose their faith in Christ to do anything to help them. In fact, Martha seems to show some understanding, some deeper faith in verse 22. But the following conversation that she has with Jesus demonstrates that she does not have faith in Jesus to, uh, to raise Lazarus now. And even when he tells her plainly that that is what he will do, she still doubts. And verse 39 is confirmation of this. So verse 39 says, uh, Martha says, uh, But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been dead there four days. She doesn't believe even at that point, even when they've got to the point of Jesus saying, roll the stone away, she still doesn't believe that Jesus can do anything about her present situation, cannot bring Lazarus back. It leads me to ask the question, do we have faith in Christ that goes beyond death? And maybe death isn't the limit of our faith, but what are the limits of our faith in Christ? Are there things that we long for him to do in us and through us, but in truth we don't believe he has the power or the inclination to do it? In all honesty, have we ever said to ourselves, God can't do that? And maybe especially in regards to bringing people we know into faith, God could never bring that person into faith, or I don't believe God will ever be at work in that person's life. Do we have limits to the faith that we put in Jesus? Or maybe it's in regard to something that happens in our own life, some particular sin that we struggle with or difficulty that we have. We say, well, God could never do that or he will never do that. Do we have a limit to the, to the work of God in our lives? We'll have heart because we are all limited in our faith. Some of us have a vast amount, and some of us only have a tiny amount. And we all have points beyond which we find it impossible to believe that God either can or will act. You're not alone. And the real encouragement is that we're not alone here even with the people in the passage. That Mary was probably, in many ways, uh, the greatest of the disciples, although she wasn't actually numbered among them. But it was her who, uh, who recognised who Jesus was, greater than any of the other disciples. It was her who poured out that oil onto his feet to anoint his feet, recognising that he had come to die, anointing him for his death. She understood his mission and his calling, what he was there to do, more than anyone else. 
Even when the other disciples were saying, no, God, you won't, no, Jesus, you won't go to to die. You won't. That's not going to happen. Mary knew, Mary knew what Jesus' true calling was. The one who was the most dedicated and discerning, and yet she still has a limit to her faith. She still doesn't believe that Jesus can raise the dead here on earth. So we don't stand alone. The good news is this, that the story doesn't end there. And the limited faith of Mary and Martha and the others did not limit Jesus. And it just brings to mind to me when uh, Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I think there's something very significant about that. You don't need a mountain full of faith to move a mountain. You just need faith as small as a mustard seed. God can move mountains. He can raise the dead. He can change things. He did it here in these pages, and he'll do it in our lives too. And actually, we don't need a huge amount of faith. We just need the tiniest amount, and Jesus can still work. Now, when it comes to these four days, there's a significance beyond the four days that Lazarus was death. Uh, beyond just uh, demonstrating uh, Martha's lack of faith. One of the popular Jewish beliefs of the time was that the soul departed the body on the third day after death. That in, in essence, it was possible for someone to come back to life in those first three days. And maybe a great prophet could do that work, and they did know of things in the Old Testament which speak about such things. That within those three days it was possible to be restored to life, but on the third day the soul would depart, and then from then on it would be impossible for that person ever to be raised. And so although it is impossible that Jesus raises the dead, it is even more so impossible that he raises someone who's been dead for four days. But also to our, uh, as modern readers, to those who are looking at it, it gives us uh, the ability to reflect on it and see, well, if Lazarus had been in the tomb four days... Even if he wasn't dead when he went in, he's certainly dead now. We can have no doubt that Lazarus was indeed in that tomb and he was indeed dead. And we come to this reason why Jesus waited. Verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? He waited so that now when he raises Lazarus from the dead, everyone will see the glory of God. See Jesus doing the impossible. Doing something that is beyond any of their faith. And verse 42. Jesus prays, I I knew that you heard... uh, I knew that you will always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. They may believe that you sent me. For God's glory, and so that people could believe in who Jesus was. So that their limited faith may be grown and strengthened. Jesus resurrects Lazarus and God is glorified. 
Then we come to that interesting verse. Interesting uh, for a number of reasons. Some people find interest in it because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. But actually, there's far more interest in it than that. You see, if we accept that Jesus knew what was going to happen from the beginning, as verse 4 makes us believe, he knew this wouldn't end in death, yet he knew he was dead. Then what is going on at verse 35? Why does Jesus weep? Why does he weep when he knows that Lazarus will come back to life, that God will be glorified, and that people's faith would be deepened? Why does he weep? Well, the answer to this question, as it's the answer to most questions we, we, uh, we raise for ourselves in the Bible, is that we don't really know. <laughs> no one really knows the answer to why Jesus wept. It's not fully explained. But there are a few options that scholars like to throw around. One is that uh, it was his own grief at the situation. It was a sad situation, and so he was obviously moved to tears by it. Some say, well, no, that can't quite be right because uh, he knows the full situation and he knows that this is only a temporary situation. So maybe there's something about the brokenness of the world. Jesus weeping for the brokenness of the world, which causes death. That may be a bit more convincing to us, but the truth is actually other people say, well, no, that can't be the case because Jesus is always aware of the brokenness of the world. And he's always, he's seen many things that cause death. He's seen a lot of brokenness and hurt, but yet this time he's moved to tears. Some people say, well, perhaps he's weeping at the lack of faith of his closest friends, loved ones and disciples. It's possible, but there are plenty of times again where, where the disciples limit a lack of faith. Maybe he was sympathetic to the grief of others, so it was a sort of a, uh, an empathy. He, others were grieving, which moved him to grief. Others say that perhaps he was angry at a hypocritical crowd who one minute are seeing the, the miracles he works, and then in the next minute we didn't read this bit, but then plotting to kill him, or taking, uh, going to the, those who would plot to kill Jesus. And others who say that he, he is uh, so confronted with death and getting close to his own death, that he is fearful of his own impending death. The truth is, any of these may be reasons why. Or they could all, in some way, be contributing factors. The contributing factors of him surpassing his emotional threshold at this point, which ends up with him weeping. And although we can't answer directly what causes it, what we do see is a most wonderful, beautiful moment. When in the middle of one of his greatest miracles, where his divinity, the fact that he is God, is so clearly demonstrated, we see this display of his humanity. Because here to weep is one of the most human things we could imagine. If we were in that situation, with all that happening around us, we would weep too. We see his humanity so clearly displayed, even at the moment when his divinity is revealed. Well, God is shown to be faithful. Even when that faith that is placed in him is limited and lacking, 
God is shown to be faithful. And throughout the whole Bible and all of history, God has never been found lacking or unable to act. And it leads me to ask the question, do we have a faith? Do we have a faith that goes beyond death? If you don't, don't worry. Because you just need faith enough to follow and the rest will fall into place. So what then of my original question? Why does God allow suffering? Well, we don't get a full answer from this passage of that, but we do get something. Firstly, we see that the suffering in this world was not something that Jesus and God is immune to. He suffered as part of this creation. And so we see this changes the way we ask the question. When we ask that question, why does God allow suffering? It's almost as if we imagine God is up there in the sky, allowing suffering to happen to us and is in some way detached from it, just looking impassively down on us. But no, this passage shows us that God is here suffering with us, alongside us. His heart is broken for the suffering of the world. It's not something that he is doing to us. It's suffering, something he is enduring with us. And secondly, there is an unbalance of our understanding. You see, from uh, the people here, their point of view, they saw that death had happened and there was nothing beyond that. From our point of view, we see suffering and we do not understand suffering in its context because we have little comprehension of life beyond this world and what lies for us ahead in this world. God is the only one who knows what is coming in the future and he is the only one who is able to make all things right. And as Revelation 21 says, he will be the one who wipes away every tear. Everything will be made right. It might not be in this life, but he will do that. And thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, we discover that in the struggle, in the suffering itself, something of the nature of God is revealed to us. Something that we cannot see without it. In the suffering and in the struggle, our faith grows in a way which it cannot grow if we do not have that same struggle. And our characters grow in a way that they could not grow if we did not have that same struggle. And perhaps most importantly, God is glorified when he acts within our struggle. Father God, we thank you that you have not abandoned us in this world. We thank you that even though at times we ask the question, where are you? And at times we lose confidence. We lose faith. We find the limits of our faith. We ask that question, why are you allowing this to happen? Where are you in this? 
How can you love me and let this happen to me? God, I thank you that you will wipe away every tear. I thank you, even though I may not have a faith that goes beyond death, you have a power that goes beyond death and you are at work. So Lord, would you grow the little faith we have into something wonderful? And would you be at work through us? Amen.